Dr. David Bentley Hart is a philosopher and religious scholar. Last year, he wrote a book called That All Shall Be Saved, Heaven, Hell, and Universal Salvation. He believes that what comes next after death is a good life for everyone. No one will experience God's justice in a negative way. Every person will be saved from their sins and enjoy eternal life in heaven. Dr. Hart does not believe in the idea of eternal judgment in a place called hell. And many others in our world would agree with him. Now, I think they're wrong. And yet, I understand the attraction of universal salvation. It's a comforting view because it means we can escape, we can escape accountability for our actions. I mean, after all, if God makes no judgments in the next life, then why should I care about him in this life? Universal salvation also makes sense to people who misunderstand love. Some people think that love always must be nice and cannot grasp the idea that love and consequences and justice often go together. Deserved consequences are a necessary part of justice. And every parent knows that loving consequences are necessary and just for the formation of good character in children. And why should that be any different with God, our Heavenly Father? He loves us. He wants the best for us. And he creates all kinds of incentives for us to choose to do what's right. And then we decide. And we reap the consequences. So for good or ill, our experience in the next life is shaped by how we respond to God in this life. And for this reason, it's vital for us to deal with the reality of eternity. If we choose to trust our creator, then what's next after this is a life of love and light and beauty called heaven. But otherwise, what's next is a tragic consequence called hell. Now, hell obviously isn't a pleasant topic. So to lighten the mood a bit, I want us to start with some cartoons about hell. If you can look at the screen, please. Nerds in hell. <laughs> Hot enough for you? <laughs> There's always one person asking the crazy question. I love this. A guy whistling. And the devils are there. You know, we're just not reaching that guy. <laughs> and then my favorite, vacation ads for hell. Well, sure it's hot, but it's a dry heat. Because, <laughs> of course, if there's no humidity, it's all great, right? Well, unfortunately, hell is not a cartoon. It's a real place. It's a real experience. And we know it's real because Jesus often said so, as he does in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
Now, Jesus made those, first, made those comments to his first disciples as he was sending them out to preach and teach and perform miracles. And he knew they'd be harassed and persecuted and even have their lives threatened. And he wanted them to understand that physical death is not what we should fear. The only thing we should fear is eternal death, the death that comes in the next life, if we refuse to acknowledge our creator in this life. Jesus talked about hell many times because he wanted us to make the better choice and respond to God in faith. And we need to recognize that every person does have the opportunity to respond to God in some way. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, King Solomon says that God has written eternity into every human heart. Which means he's placed within us a longing for him. And we either can pursue that or we can ignore it. In Romans 1, 19 and 20, the Apostle Paul says that the very creation speaks of the existence of God. Our creator's fingerprints are all over his universe. And we either can look with open eyes or we can try to explain away God. And the choice is up to us. If we choose to reject God, if we choose to reject the creator who lovingly made us in his image, then hell is the tragic consequence. And it's a place of judgment where God carries out his perfect justice. And we get a painful glimpse of this in the book of Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. The apostle John is writing and says, Then I saw a great white throne and saw him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It's not a pretty picture. This is part of the book of Revelation, which is the result of a vision that God gave to the apostle John. And John recorded this vision for us in a specific style called apocalyptic writing. It's a distinctive way of describing spiritual visions and world-changing events. And the essence of apocalyptic writing is images and symbols. And so it's not designed to be understood as totally literal. And yet we know, based on what Jesus said, that hell is real. And so what we likely have in this passage are some metaphorical images that describe reality. Metaphors and images that enable John to describe things he saw in his vision that he couldn't fully explain. And for this reason, I don't think we should get bogged down in the specific details of these kinds of passages. What's important is the big picture. And the big picture is that one day in the future, God will exercise judgment toward those who reject him in this life. The people standing before his throne will experience the heartbreaking, tragic consequence of their own attitudes and actions. 
And this judgment is so painful to watch that in verse 11, John says, and he's obviously speaking metaphorically, that even the earth and the physical heavens run away from it. They don't want to be around as justice is carried out. Because it's so painful to realize that each of those people could have made a different choice. Now we need to understand that believers in Jesus aren't going to be present as this takes place. We're going to stand before God at a different time when we will be received into the eternal joy of God's presence. What we call heaven, the eternal presence of God. And why do we get that? It's not because we're good. It's not because we've earned it. It's simply because we've said yes to Jesus Christ. So this day of justice is for people who reject God. And God knows who they are. And so John paints this picture of a registry called the book of life. It's a list with the name of every person who reserved space in God's eternal kingdom in advance by placing their trust in Jesus. And here, as the souls of the dead stand before God, the lack of an advance reservation makes all the difference. And yet, as we watch this future scene, it, it does raise a question. If you die, and then later you're raised up to stand before God, what happens between the day you die and the future day of judgment? The answer of scripture is that our souls are in an intermediate time of waiting. And believers wait in the presence of God. And unbelievers do not. And what's most important to understand is this. There's no opportunity to change our mind about God while we wait. The decision of faith must be made in this life. Before the first death, which is our physical death. And if we don't make that right decision before the first death, then in eternity we experience the second death, which John describes here as the lake of fire. And this second death is what matters most, because this death keeps us separated from God and his goodness forever. That will be incredibly painful to everyone who experiences it. Eternity without the goodness and the love of God. So this vision from John is a tragic picture. And yet as painful as this is, the story does contain some good news because God not only exercises justice toward people, he also exercises justice toward death. Now we need to remember that death came into existence not because of God, but because of the sin of mankind in Eden. Death is the result of human rebellion against God. Death is the enemy of life. God's desire is for his children to experience a rich, full, abundant life. A life free from the fear of death. And so on this day when God carries out his justice, he burns up death forever. And the Bible fire often is an image of purification. And so we see that God is purifying eternity to make it a place of life and love and light 
joy and peace for all of his children. Now, at the beginning of the message, I mentioned Dr. Hart's book about universal salvation. And he offers many intellectual arguments for his view, but one of his arguments is purely emotional, and it ought to cause us to check our own hearts. You see, one of the reasons Dr. Hart doesn't like the idea of hell is because he's met so many Christians who take great delight in the thought of other people going to hell. And I would agree with him that that is not a godly attitude. We should not view hell as our vengeance upon other people. We should not have the attitude, go get him, God. And we shouldn't gloat about avoiding hell, nor should we gloat about gaining heaven. Because the truth is, no one... No one, including you and me, deserves the joy of heaven. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 3.23, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus went to the cross and rose from the grave to rescue us from our sinful condition so we could choose to spend eternity with God rather than apart from God. And when we make that choice, we then get to look forward to heaven. And it's only because of Jesus. And so in light of the reality of eternity, how do we prepare for what's next? Well, first and foremost, we need to repent of our sins and submit to baptism and be raised to new life here and now. And then we need to live each day by what Jesus told us is the greatest commandment, which is to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Jesus told us that we even need to love our enemies. To love people even who may persecute us. And so our responsibility before God is not to make lists of people that we think God should send to hell but to be a faithful witness of Jesus, a loving witness of Jesus, so that spiritually lost people will be equipped to make the better choice and to put their faith in Jesus Christ. All of us know people who are far from God. Don't we want them to avoid the tragic consequence of hell? I dearly hope so. So let's be intentional about loving the people around us who are spiritually adrift, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, whether those people are friends or enemies. Let's love them enough to make every effort to help them get connected to Jesus so they'll be able to join us in the eternal delight of heaven. You know, one of the reasons we share in communion every Sunday is because it points us toward what's next. The bread and the cup remind us of the price Jesus paid so we could choose life. And communion reminds us of the celebration feast that Jesus promised when we all gather with him one day in his kingdom. Communion is a promise of the eternal joy that awaits us. Eternity in the presence of God our Father and His Son, Jesus Christ.
That's where I want to be. And I want as many people as possible to be with me. Let's follow Jesus faithfully by loving our neighbors and bringing people with us into the kingdom of God so they're ready for what's next and the delight of heaven for all eternity.